1: Learn more at marines.com.
2: Let's see if the Suns can do a little celebrating with a W here. And it goes to Bledsoe. Five seconds. Bledsoe with three. Bledsoe with one. Got to put it up for the game. Go! Yeah!
1: And
2: the buzzer beats the in overtime. You know the NBA season is back when we crank up the Ori scale, buzzer beaters, everything going on around the association. Sekou Smith from NBA.com here on the Hangtime Podcast. My main man, Lang Whitaker, in New York. Yo. What's up?
3: Nothing. I, I'm glad I wasn't on call that night. <laughs> For a 3 a.m. buzzer? Man.
2: <laughs> Listen. If there's anything that tells you that the NBA season is officially back in swing, it's somebody knocking down a buzzer beater and one of us goons at NBA.com having to scramble up a post for the Ori scale. Um, I'm glad it was somebody else. And not. Yeah. Full swing. The, the league's in full swing, though. Lang. Like, I mean, you take a, the first half abbreviated week, you know, you start on Tuesday night and kind of go through the weekend. But now it's official. Like, we're really back in. I
3: knew it. it was official last night when the fans were booing the Knicks at the Garden. That's... <laughs> <laughs> It took about a week to to get that going again. So that made me feel like the season was back. The expectations course, were already of out of control. Well, I mean booing I mean, you could
2: choose whatever you want to boo the Knicks about, but what was the particular
3: It was I think it was more a general uh I mean look, it was the second it was right. the second game of a back to back And they got stroked. and uh James Harden came out in full harden last night and he looked awesome and the Knicks were down twenty in the first half and it just wasn't no. wasn't a good start and I think it was one of those games where you maybe you chalk it up as a right. schedule loss or something but I think Knicks fans were uh, hoping for a little more and uh, the highlight of the night was probably <laughs> Sam yeah, Decker. saw the uh,
2: floorboard monster snatched him
3: shacked him. man I, I wish I'd had my phone recording that because the moment it happened I've never seen like the entire arena just burst out he, in sh- laughter. he should have
2: burst out and laughed and, except uh, for ball smacking him in his nose it was like Austin <laughs>
3: Rivers did it last year this is a similar thing and uh yeah that might be uh, oh, yeah, a Shacked an all-time moment a there's no question
2: um little news Ray Allen announcing his retirement after yeah. um really two years of speculation about whether he would come back or not in in uh play for somebody um what do you what's your lasting memory of Ray Allen if you could pick like one? Is it the shot?
3: It has to be, right? It has to be. Yep. We were both there. Um for that. That I I tweeted it the other day when he announced his retirement or made it official at least that uh I think out of all the stuff I've seen at NBA games throughout my life, that was the greatest moment I've ever seen.
2: It ranks up there. I mean, it's up high on my list.
3: For me, it's either that or Robert Ory Spurs against. I mean, yeah, Spurs the, Pistons. Pistons. Yeah.
2: yeah, that was a good one too. I was there. That was that was a damn good series. You know what I think about when I and I know this is weird. I just remember watching. He got game, and it was like the Ray Allen I was used to. I had a totally different feel for him after I saw him acting it's, and seeing him in that Spike Lee joint. I thought he was fantastic in the movie. Mm-hmm. And then to see him. Late into his career, the way he worked at it and the way he stayed just so diligent about his, you know, showing up early. You know, during those finals, he was still showing up at four o'clock, you know, on game night and getting in on the floor before anybody else getting shots up. We had a pretty good conversation. I asked Isaiah Thomas whether or not he thought Ray Allen was a better pure shooter than Reggie Miller. And, you know, I mean, it's Reggie's form is not nearly as pretty as Ray's was. Right. But Isaiah said he felt like if if Reggie worked at it, he could go out right now and outshoot Steph Curry if they got into a shooting contest. And I was like, wow. You know, that's high praise. To me, Reggie was a better scorer. Isaiah mentioned that he thought Reggie was a better clutch shooter than any of these guys is what it, you know, more than yeah. anything. Well. I know, but I'm saying. Okay, for game six. Look at, I mean, they did a 30 for 30 on <laughs> Reggie. They don't come yeah. much better in the clutch than that. You know, and I, and I don't think you have to poke holes in one guy's body of work to build up the other. I mean, they're all great shooters, obviously. But it was just it was just interesting. You start thinking about the list of the greatest shooters we've seen in the league. And the funny thing about Ray Allen is early in his career, nobody was talking about him being a great shooter because he used to dunk on people all the time. He was like a great slasher early in his career. Mm-hmm. And when he was playing with my man out in Seattle, you know, he and Richard Lewis, to me, that's when they really turned into snipers when they were catching all those beautiful uh, passes from Luke Rittenauer. And winning the division out there, you know, <laughs> got to get my boy Ridd in there somewhere. But I mean, Steph's the standard bearer now, right? He's the guy that most people consider, even former players, consider the greatest shooter they've ever seen. Well, apparently, not all of them. No, I think I think their criticism of Steph is not about his shooting. I think it's about this idea that he's a great all-around player. Right? Who's who's going to argue that Steph? Well,
3: apparently, Isaiah will.
2: No, no, that, that was overblown.
3: He. You no, know. I thought you said just Isaiah said that he. Oh, he was saying Reggie could give Steph a run for his money. Yes, okay. yeah. He
2: said if he worked, if he went out and practiced, he could give Steph a run for his money. But I, who who doesn't think Steph's at least one of the three greatest shooters they've seen?
3: Yeah, I don't know. Nobody, don't know. I mean,
2: nobody. Steph's. I mean, think about the number of threes in eighteen years, thirteen hundred games played. Ray Allen had almost three thousand <laughs> made threes. Two thousand nine hundred seventy-three. Steph's got sixteen hundred and ten. And he's on yeah and he's only four hundred and ninety nine games in. I mean, seriously. Steph's in the prime of his career. He's like yeah. just now in the prime of his career.
3: One other I just had another Ray Allen mm-hmm. memory that popped in my head. Two years ago, I guess his last playoff run with the Heat, I was in Miami covering their series mm-hmm. and there was one of the games against I don't remember who it must have been Charlotte. First round game was a blowout. Hibbert got hurt and uh, not Hibbert. Um, Al Jefferson got hurt. And uh, one of the games was a blowout. And so they mm-hmm. the rotations were all messed up, player rotations. So some guys got to play a lot, some guys didn't. Anyway, in the locker room after the game, I went in there, the Heat locker room, and was talking to a couple guys. And a few minutes later, uh, Ray Allen comes in just drenched in sweat. <laughs> And he hadn't played his normal minutes in the game, so he went as soon as the game ended and rode a bike and ran on a treadmill <laughs> to to make sure he got the correct amount of, machine for himself, for his correct amount of work in, because he said he wouldn't feel right if he didn't do his, his exact, you know, his OCD workout schedule he had. So I, I don't think I'd ever seen that before, though. A guy, you know, one of the main players on the team go run on a treadmill when the game was over.
2: Rex Chapman told him- a great story he said he saw him in Vegas months back and he said he walked up to him and like kind of grabbed his arm and was like man he's like you know like how tight his mu- muscle was and I was like man you look like you could still play and he said Ray Allen looked at him dead serious like I can <laughs> <laughs> so apparently he just didn't want to and, and that's what uh brought upon the retirement yeah again talking about Steph I'm very interested to see what wrinkle he adds to his game this year because Steph has come back year after year, really in the past, what, three, four seasons, playing even better than he did the year before. He's rolling already this year, I mm-hmm. mean, on a, under much different circumstances. But I would say he's more than just a three-point shooter. To me, his game is a little deeper, than, you know, goes deeper than just him being a great shooter. I, I feel like he's he's added some other wrinkles that are impressive mm-hmm. and that have made him even more dangerous. With that in mind, Lang, let's unveil the latest and greatest New wrinkle on the hang time podcast here uh, a weekly visit with the smartest man in basketball and some people will tell you the world John Schumann and his schumann staff john i I contend and agree with those of you who believe that Steph Curry is more than just a otherworldly three point shooter what's what's been the the best wrinkle you think he's added to his game the past couple years?
0: It's definitely, you know, his ability to finish at the rim. You know, we saw it the other day um, when he had that 23-point quarter against the Blazers. I mean, he had three threes within about two minutes, but he also had three layups in that same sort of sequence, and two of them were and ones, you know, through contact. And if you look at his numbers... You know, he, he came into the league as a great three-point shooter, and his three-point percentage has sort of hovered around 44%, 45% his whole career. It hasn't changed much, but if you look at his first five seasons, and then you look at his two MVP seasons, and you look at his field goal percentage in different areas, the one where it really jumped was at the basket. It went from 59% over his first five years, which is just a little below the, the league average, to 66% each of the last two years. And last year, that was second among guards that took at least 200 shots uh, in the restricted area. The year before, he was third among guards in the restricted area. So that's the big difference for me, and I think it makes him that more dangerous. And like Obviously, you want to run him off the three-point line, but if you do that, he's just going to attack the basket, and he can finish there just as well. And basically, at this point in his career, a layup for him is, is worth about the same as a three in sort of a points-per-attempt number. You'd notice it, too. like He's really good at finishing around the basket. You know, You have guys like Kyrie Irving and maybe Damian Lillard guys that you see make circus shots, but you know Curry's better than both of those guys in finishing at the basket, uh, according to the numbers.
3: Well, John, Sekou you asked me to try to poke a hole in your argument, and um, you know you come at the stat king, you best not miss. <laughs> so I, I'm reticent to do that. I will say this, <laughs> I'm looking at your chart in your column on NBA.com on, on Steph Curry finishing at the rim, and thus far this season, he's 11 for 19, 58%, which is that's the league average, right?
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's a so maybe he's below. not that good. Well, that's just like 19 shots.
3: <laughs> that's the best I could come up with. I'm sorry. <laughs> so, yeah,
0: As much as I love the numbers, I, I know not, I know enough not to look into them too deeply after four or five games. There's a few things that you can look at and say, okay, this is something different. But uh, at that point, you know, shooting numbers that especially are, are going to bounce up and down the first right. few weeks of the season. And the one thing I will say, his ball handling has obviously gotten better over the years, and that allows him to create space and create more threes for himself. Like his three-point volume has gone up, even though his percentage hasn't gone up. And obviously that's made him a better player. So he's a more dangerous shooter from three just because he can create more space for himself in one-on-one situations, you know, step-backs, whatever Step to the sides; those types of things. But you know, the finishing at the rim, I think, is sort of an underappreciated part of his game. And like I said, he's he's one of the best guards at getting there, and he's better than a lot of big men at shooting in the restricted area. You know, part of that is big men are are shooting against big men, but he's getting some fast break layups thrown in there. But like I said, I think it's really an underappreciated part of his game.
2: John Schumann, rocking with us here on the Hang Time Podcast. Appreciate it, Shoe. Anytime, guys. Thanks, John. As he mentioned, Lang, three, four games is not a, a large enough sample size to really base too much of a lasting judgment on. But we are officially over a week in to this NBA season and helping us take a look at that and reflect on a little bit of what we've seen is our main man Howard Beck of Bleacher Report. Always glad to hear his voice, read his stuff. Beck's what's happening, sir? What's happening, guys? How are you? Good, man. Good. this This NBA season is toe deep, of course. So, I mean, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want us going crazy here. There's not time to talk about who's going to win the MVP and all that stuff. But what are your f- first impressions, just of what you've seen, um, in terms of the teams and maybe players that that are sticking out to you for whatever reasons?
1: I want to start with the Cavaliers, the defending champions, because one. We've all been fixated, understandably, on the Warriors and the Durant element there and all that stuff, and then Westbrook. I want to focus on the Cavs just because on opening night, I just thought it was really impressive the way they came out. And I know people think like, you shouldn't necessarily have to be impressed with the defending champions, right? But right. there is certainly a history in this league, and I guess certainly my experience covering the Laker championship teams of Shaq and Kobe, where you see these hangovers and where guys get a little complacent, and you know if you don't change out a lot of pieces and you don't bring in a lot of fresh blood, that there's just this sense like, well... We did it, and then they got to kind of ramp themselves back up again. But they came out opening night, and then this first week just on fire, as if they had still had something to prove, which is what we saw with the Warriors after their championship, and then they went on to win 73 games. So I like seeing that. I like seeing LeBron, who's going to be 32 in December, has been written off as being, well, this is the slowing down, or this is the year Kyrie has to take over. I loved seeing him just... Absolutely dominating not only an opening night, but he's been averaging nearly a triple double through the first, you know, uh, week of the season. Um, so that's been cool. I, I, I like that. You know, everywhere else, it's, it's kind of a mishmash. It's, it's, it's like Chicago is way better than I think. Most of us thought they should be, mm-hmm. but it's four games in. The Pacers are way worse than we all thought they should be, but it's four games in. There are some warning signs, you know, in, in a few places. Washington, I think, is probably a little bit nervous. And the Knicks, Knicks fans are certainly freaking out already. They were <laughs> booing last night at the Garden. Anthony Davis, poor Anthony Davis. <laughs> can yeah. we can we start like a GoFundMe to get Anthony Davis out of New Orleans? It's tough in a few spots out there. And and while it's fun watching Westbrook just tear everybody up, yeah. he can't do this for the whole season season like there's i I mean we should never doubt like that guy's energy and fire but um this is not a sustainable formula for the thunder post kevin durant
3: here's the thing I, i i agree with you it's not a sustainable formula but but i i think he can do it it's, if he can no, pull this even? off for the entire season, don't you think we have to give this guy the MVP? I mean, I I don't want to I don't want to say the MVP already. I'm, I'm ready. <laughs> the way he's playing has been the most exciting thing this season to me so far. And you tune in and you watch these games, and you're like, you know what you're going to see. You know he's going to just play like a man possessed for, for every second that he's on the court. He's dunking on DeAndre Jordan and Blake Griffin, and he's flying up and down. And uh, I, I it's unbelievable for me to watch him play like this. And I. I mean, is it sustainable? I guess that's the real question. It, probably not. But, you know, as Russ says, why not? Like, why, why, I yeah. think it might be worth watching.
1: I want to uh, get my John Schumann on here for a <laughs> second. But I was looking up usage rates, you know, the other day. You know, number of possessions used. And, and you know, So three guys in NBA history have ever had a usage rate of 38 or above, meaning using 38% of your team's possessions while you're on the floor, for a whole season. And it was, you know, Kobe, I think, in 5 06, and they lost in the first round, and they were like a 45-win team. It was Jordan uh, in 86-87, and I think they were below 500 that year, lost in the first round. And then Russ himself, uh, the year that Durant was out, most of the year with the foot injuries, Russ had a, a usage rate of around 38, and they missed the playoffs with a forty with 45 wins. So, like... That's, that level has happened, but that's 38. He's up over 40. <laughs> you know. And Sam Preston, didn't go out and acquire Victor Oladipo and Sabonis and some of these other guys and, and give you know, Stephen Adams this big new contract for them to just kind of stand and set screens and watch Russ go off. Like, those guys are going to have to like, start to, to be part of this right. on a little higher level. Like, they need some balance. They need some equilibrium in that offense. Yeah. And I think that they'll get there eventually. Maybe this is what Russ feels like he has to do to get them going uh, and to give them confidence that they can still be uh, a great team without Durant. But, man, at some point there's got to be a little bit more balance.
3: For, for what it's worth, including last night's game, Russ's uh, usage rate is at 43.8% right now. So.
2: <laughs> no way he sustains that. It's only going up. No yeah. way he sustains Russ is not the only guy, Howard, who is lighting it up, though. I mean, we've got Russell Westbrook. Averaging a preposterous, and I and I say that a, a preposterous, thirty-seven point eight points per game. DeMar DeRozan averaging thirty-six point three, Damian Lillard at thirty-two point six, James Harden at thirty-one point eight, in the aforementioned Anthony Davis at thirty-one point six. I mean, it's early. Everything is you know parked in that. Hey, it's only three, four, five games in. But is it strange to see so many guys putting up these monster numbers, chasing triple doubles? We're in the super team era, and apparently these guys are in the superhero era. Yeah, well, it's interesting.
1: Most of the guys you named, maybe all of them, um, they're stranded superstars. And that's something I've written about a lot and I've talked about a lot because I'm not sure it's a healthy thing for the league. I don't like superstar conglomeration at this level. Like, I, I just don't think it's great for the league. There's only a handful of true, true superstars or guys – who um, can change your franchise overnight. And when you have four on the Warriors and three on the Clippers and two or three on the Cavs, however you can classify Kevin Love, when you get guys at that level all getting together in a few different cities, there are not enough stars to go around. So Anthony Davis is just stranded in New Orleans with, like, no, I mean, he barely has starter, you know, starting caliber <laughs> help around him, much less another all-star. Right. Um, James, James Harden, Dwight Howard leaves. They don't get along Dwight leaves. James Harden doesn't have another star with him. There's there's a lot of this going on right now. These like stranded stars, and I think some of that feeds into these monster numbers because they're just carrying a you know a heavy heavy burden, just trying to get their teams on track or pull them up out of the cellar or whatever it may be. Also, you know, look, it's it's opening week of the season, and I, I think that a lot of this is, you know, look at the competition, or there are, you know, some teams that are just in disarray, and there, these guys are pouncing on them. There are defenses that aren't what they should be yet. And, you know, some of these guys, you know, maybe they'll come out with a little bit more to, to prove Harden has been emboldened by, I think, D'Antoni's offense and by Dwight being gone and playing at the pace they're playing. So there's there's a bunch of factors that I think feed into it for each of these guys. And, again, like, if we were in January and any of these guys had gone on a four game tear, we would say, "Oh, it's a nice four game tear." But because it's the first four games of the season, it, looks, it just looks that much more startling because those are the raw numbers and those are their averages. Now, it's not like we haven't seen some of these guys do some of this mid season or you know when the when the uh, the numbers don't pop off the page quite as much.
3: Yeah, for for some perspective, I saw on Twitter today the the last Raptor. To have four straight thirty-point games before Demar Derozan was Mike James. So.
1: <laughs> what? I mean, yeah. If you had given me, if you had just asked me that as a trivia question <laughs> and given me like, uh, you know, ten tries, I would have never gotten to Mike James. Yeah.
2: I would. I would have dropped out at Alvin Williams. So, but Mike James. I, I would have so given up after Jamario Moon. <laughs> oh.
3: We're getting into some deep cuts
1: nice.
2: here. Howard Beck from Bleacher Report <laughs> joining here on the Hang Time Podcast. Howard, it's been announced earlier this week, the NBA Awards show, a, a nice new change of pace. Now I can answer all these people who ask me all season long on social media, hey, when are they going to announce the MVP? When are you going to announce the rookie year? It's all <laughs> going down June 26, 2017 on TNT. Do you like this idea of turning the the NBA's awards into basically a show, like the you know an awards show? You know, I – there's a lot to like about it. I think I'm sure it'll be well done. Certainly,
1: our friends at Turner are going to do a great job. The NBA will do a great job. I have no doubt about the entertainment value. But no, with all due respect to our corporate overlords, I'm not. I'm not a fan of it. Yeah, I like the slow rollout of awards. Mm-hmm. I like the fact that. You know, fans have this anticipation throughout the playoffs. Like, when is Like, yeah, they're going to bug us all about when, <laughs> when the All NBA team is going to be announced. When's the All Rookie teams? Like, anybody should care. People get excited for it. And so you get that drip drop, of, you know, over the course of weeks during the postseason. And then you get the nice um, pregame award ceremonies for MVP and some of these things during playoff games. That's always fun. You know, look, these are regular season awards, and they are going to remain regular season awards. Yeah. So it's going to be really weird to me when the finals MVP is handed out before we know the season MVP. <laughs> and yeah. the season MVP may be a team that got knocked out in the first round yeah, right. or lost in the finals. It's going to create some awkwardness that it, might be its own entertainment factor, but I like the way we've had it for years where you can debate these things as they come out, mm-hmm. um, and, and, and they're one at a time everything else is going to be eclipsed by the MVP on the night of the awards show like we're going to forget about everything else we're not going to have any time to like debate discuss you know the boat breakdown and and who got hosed and all this uh because it's going to be all in one night so no it's i'm sure it'll be well done i'm not sure i like the change or i'm pretty sure i don't like the change
2: yeah guess who won't be cracking open one of those envelopes on june 26th, (laughs) (laughs) like
1: i've just been (laughs) disinvited (laughs)
2: <laughs> hey, listen, I listen. I don't plan on getting an invitation Sorry, either. David Lee Lee. I know. <laughs> My apologies, Howard. The the other thing that stuck out to me this week, and for as long as you've covered the league, I'm sure you have an interesting view of this. Is Ray Allen's retirement? The retirement's not what struck me. It's the it's the letter to his 13 year old self. Yeah, that he wrote that was really revealing. I thought what he had to say about how awkward his life was growing up bouncing around different places explains a lot about why he's been such a a strange figure with guys he's played with you know where you you hear him talk about reality they really love the guy but they didn't seem like they knew him as well as you thought teammates should know each other Did, did you know about how strange his upbringing was or just how different it was and maybe that playing into part of his personality
1: no no i finally read that last night and um yeah, that was, that was all a revelation to me. You know, I never covered Ray as a beat writer, you know, on a day in day basis. I mm-hmm. never really got to know him much. Like a lot of guys, you know, who cover the NBA, I certainly had many group interviews and a couple of maybe a handful of one-on-ones for a minute here or there, working on stories. And as you guys know, really smart, really thoughtful, engaging, easygoing, just, just a, a great guy to talk to. And yeah, I mean, you know, you always heard, you know, from teammates or coaches, whatever. Yeah, he's a little different. But, no, I didn't know how much uh, alienation he he kind of felt as a a kid. And I think we look at these guys who are these icons, who are future Hall of Famer types like Ray Allen, and we think of them, unless they're a real eccentric like Dennis Rodman, who's like overtly eccentric, Mm -hmm. we look at of these guys and we think, these guys must have always been the most popular guys. (laughs) You know, (laughs) athletic, high achievers, Ray Allen, good-looking guy, well-dressed, everything, but you just, everything about him Screams like the popular dude who probably had had it, everything going his way since he was a kid. These are assumptions that are kind of just built into to our perceptions because of the way we see pro athletes in, in this culture. And I would have never thought that Ray Allen, in reading like that essay, that I would think like, oh my god, I, I, I relate to, so much to this. <laughs> like a lot. You know, a lot of us were, were kind of misfits at various stages in our upbringing, and. um it was it was really great. It was it was really moving. It was really well done. I would expect nothing less from a, a Ray Allen essay. Right. And i I it's great that he kind of gave us that that insight into him as he finally makes it official uh, with his retirement.
2: Yeah. Fifteen years earlier would have made it a lot easier covering him. I guess I don't know.
3: <laughs> Maybe it took two years to announce it because he had to refine that essay for so long <laughs> and, and just editing it for two well, years. It was,
2: it was a letter to his
1: thirteen-year-old self. That's a lot of years to you <laughs> yeah. know process.
3: Yeah. Uh, okay, now I guess we've talked about enough other stuff. Now we can talk about the Warriors. Was this <laughs> we've we done our due diligence around the league because uh, Howard? I know you wrote about the Warriors heading into the season, and you talked to a lot of different people about sort of the the challenges it presents to the NBA as a whole, but also just as a team. How how do you beat that team? And then they got drilled the opening night by, by the Spurs. <laughs> um, do you think the Spurs kind of laid it out there? Hey, if you're gonna if you want to beat this team, this is how you do it. Somebody actually told me
1: while I was reporting that story, and I don't think I included the quote, or maybe I included the quote in there, but when I was reporting a story that we did, you know, as our season preview on the Warriors, and are they unbeatable, and the league even going to deal with them? Somebody did say, like, there's going to be some teams that are just going to try to just get into them, just kind of rough them up a bit, you know, put it through them, especially since they're, they're now thin up front. Look, I mean, I don't put any stock in week one. I certainly don't put any stock in opening night, but... I do think that the Spurs highlighted what everybody thought might be a warrior weakness, which is they don't have Andrew Bogut up front anymore. And Dada Pachulia is just not the same kind of rim protector uh, or or paint protector. And, 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 you know, that may or may not matter in the long haul. They may lose some games in the regular season that, you know, that they wouldn't have otherwise. But in the postseason with a, you know, a tighter rotation and they can exploit the heck out of their small lineups and, and exploit the heck out of the fact that they'll always have at least one MVP on the floor and a couple of all-stars of every minute of the game. They're, they're still going to be the favorites, and, you know, they'll make adjustments as they go. They'll, they'll figure out how to best use their personnel. Maybe one of their young bigs will, you know, emerge as an option too. And, you know, who knows, maybe they dust off JaVale McGee, and he, he rehabs his, uh, his career. There are ways this can go, but I think the cool thing about what happened opening night, even though I think it's ultimately meaningless, is that for anybody out there, you know, teams, fans, who thought the Warriors were going to be, you know, just unbeatable, like it was good to see them bleed. Like it's good on uh, night one to say, okay, you know what, it, it's, <laughs> There's, there is a chance here. There are some, some uh, maybe some weaknesses to, to peck at and, uh, and instill that belief. Because as, as much as athletes are supremely confident all the time anyway, psychology is a big part of this game. And you got to go in believing that you truly have a chance and not that you talked yourself into it. So I think it was, it was good for the league to see the Warriors, you know, kind of get smacked around on opening night.
2: Yeah, I agree. I, I liked it. And I think it speaks to what Cleveland kind of unveiled about them at the end of the finals. You know, when Bogut was out and they didn't have a rim protector, you know, you look and go, man, they are vulnerable here. And even with that and Kevin Durant, they didn't address that part of the game. So I, I, I was the one thing I was thinking about on opening night, watching that game. Howard Beck from Bleacher Report. Here with us on the Hangtime Podcast this week. Hey, tell Jonathan Abrams we are looking for him. He's he's our next hit from, <laughs> from the uh the, the bleacher report uh mothership that we're gonna get here on the podcast. Let him know we're looking for him, Howard. Uh, I will I will do that. He he can be an elusive <laughs> character. <laughs> yeah. Absolutely. Appreciate you, man, as always. Thanks, fellas. Thanks for having me. Appreciate it. Thanks, Howard. Howard Beck there joining us here on the Hangtime Podcast. Always good to talk to the best in the biz. We have talked endlessly about the Warriors and the Cavs and what we think is going to happen, I keep having to remind myself it's just four or five games into the season. I I feel ridiculous. I've I've argued with three or four people already about whether or not this guy or that guy is a legitimate MVP candidate.
3: It's like, they haven't even played five games. (laughs) Well, it's also because Russ has it locked up at this point, right? (laughs) I'm all in. (laughs) You're all in for Russ, baby. I got to get a Russell Westbrook jersey or something.
2: You got to get the Russ 2017 sign in your front yard. Or in front (laughs) of your building, rather. Yeah. And I agree with Howard that having all six of the the, uh, major awards announced on the same night is going to be a bit strange, you know, when when you do that after somebody wins the finals MVP.
3: But you know what it does, I think, is it it kind of keeps—I don't know the exact timing of this— like when is the draft going to be a couple days after that or before it? Yeah. So it, what it does is it keeps that momentum going at the end of the month from the finals to the awards to the draft to free agency fever.
2: No, yes. Well, this is this is going to be announced on June 26th, right? Which is after the finals and the draft.
3: Okay, so, so then the draft be, ends yeah. and instead of being like a dead week until the free agency, right? This gives us something else to chew on for for that week. And then free agency fever kicks off. Then we get summer league in Vegas. (laughs) So it's just another way to kind of keep that momentum going, I think, between the end of the finals now that the NBA is like a year-round thing for us. Yes, Um, yes. It just keeps it going. Yeah,
2: It's going to be good. It's going to be good. Good, interesting wrinkles to what is always a long and adventurous NBA season. On NBA TV, every Thursday, 10 before tip. 6.30 to 7 o'clock Eastern. Make sure you check that out. And as always, uh, subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, please. Be sure to leave a review talking about how fantastic we sound and uh, how interesting and (sighs) wonderful these, uh, these episodes are. Please do that.
3: All these podcasts, they say leave a review, but they don't ever say just leave positive reviews.
2: <laughs> I don't want other reviews. Just yeah, leave, I don't
3: either. Leave good stuff. <laughs> can we delete the negative ones?
2: <laughs> I don't know we'll have to talk to somebody about getting rid of that stuff. New episodes every Thursday this season on iTunes and certainly here. Uh, you can check it out on NBA.com. The Hangtime Podcast. We appreciate our guests. Howard Beck joining us and John Schumann. Dropping in with the Schumann stat of the week. That'll be a recurring monster here um, on the podcast. We will see you right here next Thursday on the Hangtime Podcast. Later.